This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here. We're here one more time with yet another terribly interesting guest who's going to be talking about something that's near and dear to every single one of our listeners' hearts. I mean, if you're listening to Core Brain Journal, these topics are going to be totally interesting. I say there are two topics, but they're totally related. Growing happy kids and the emotionally healthy child. We have Maureen Healy joining us today, a child development expert. Maureen, thanks so much for coming on board. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's going to be really exciting, listener. She gets around from psychology today to the whole thing. She, Martha Stewart's living. We'll talk about her in just a moment. Let me just tell you a couple of words from our sponsor, and then we'll do a formal introduction. Core Brain Journal is sponsored by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders for improved targeted mind science details. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond guesswork. And this is where the entire field of neuroscience is going. If we're not doing therapy, we're going to be doing the biology. And also what they do is they provide multiple, this is very interesting, training webinars for both the public, yes, the public, and medical providers on how to use that important data effectively in their offices globally. Check out their website for references and testing details and take note of this offer that they have in a partnership with us. They are providing a complimentary test drawing this week and it changes every week so I can't tell you exactly what the test drawing is, but you wanna go over there and see if you're interested in it. You can have a free test and they're ranging somewhere in the range between in the range of $200 to $500, and you just want to see if you can get one of those tests, and that's all available at http greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ for Core Brain Journal. Why not give it a shot? That would be beneficial for you, and they'll do the reading as well, so we'll get that done. Now, let's go back to Maureen Healy. Thanks again, Maureen, for coming on board. She's an international speaker. An award-winning author, it's a privilege to have you on board with us. She's an expert in the field of children's emotional health. Her first book, Growing Happy Kids, won the Nautilus and Reader's Favorite Book Awards in 2014, so she's been at it for a while. She also writes a popular blog for Psychology Today, which has reached millions of parents and teachers worldwide. Tal Ben-Shahar, former Harvard University lecturer, said about her, read this book and then read it again. And more importantly, this is what you and I were talking about earlier, apply it regarding Maureen's new book, The Emotionally Healthy Child. This is the real big reason that we have her here with us today. So mm -hmm. what's unique about Maureen is her in-depth training in child development and the how of happiness which is combined to provide her a unique perspective. She lectures in schools all over the United States, actually globally. Maureen understands children from the inside out and is uniquely skilled at guiding them and the adults who care for them on how the how 
of becoming emotionally healthy and ultimately happier. One of the things that's really going to be so much fun for us to talk about is Maureen understands the actual value, and she said it quite explicitly, that emotional health with children is a skill set that can be learned. And I, I think when she says with children, I'm sure it's going to work with adults as well. So she's based in Santa Barbara, California, and she continues to work with clients directly as well as teach, as we were saying. She's an avid learner and a teacher. Maureen seeks to grow from every person she meets and experience she has. And she says, life is never boring. And so you can learn more about going over to her website, growinghappykids.com. So Maureen, let's talk now about how you got started on this journey, because it's so absolutely essential and useful. How did it happen that you went down this path? That's a good question. I began my career working with CEOs. And it was really funny. I found sometimes they acted like children. So uh, <laughs> not all the times, but sometimes. Yeah. And I really thought, well, in my mind, I thought, well, if I could go back to working with children when they were very young, maybe some of, some of this behavior I'm seeing wouldn't happen. So I just went back to school to study clinical child psychology. And I really fell in love with working with children. It just became, I realized it was sort of the path that was waiting for me. And I know that we all want to become healthy and happier. And it, I had sort of gone on my own and lived in Asia and gone to different places to study the how of, you know, how to become healthier and happier. And uh, applying that to children has just been a joy. You know, it's interesting because I think it's really interesting. I didn't know that about you, that you came to it from the corporate world. I mean, mm -hmm. your observations are very similar to the ones I've made. And even in my own self, I mean, I've had some very interesting experiences with, uh, you know, highly qualified people. And here I have all this training in the world. I mean, I had really good psychiatric training, child, adolescent, adult training, you know, seven years of psychoanalytic training, and, and yet still found myself in situations which were completely surprising to me mm -hmm. that I got there in this situation where I had no, I was a complete innocent in terms of what was actually going on in that corporate life. And I think that experience has driven me and pushed me into exactly what you're doing. I mean, we're, we're really on the same path because one would think that I would know what I was doing after all that training. And yet even in the field of psychiatry, you can still have grand illuminations along the way and change your direction, no question. Mm -hmm. So the question then would be, how do you actually, what's a theme of problems that you see? If you were looking at, Starting back with the corporate, what are some of the big themes of, hey, I wish this would be something that people would know more about coming into it and how counterproductive this particular phenomenon is, something like that? Well, I think, you know, when we get to the root of the matter, it's really most people, children, of course, but even adults sometimes are very emotionally reactive. So they'll, when they have an uncomfortable or difficult emotion, they scream, they slam doors, they throw something versus being more careful and responsive. So it's sort of the path of learning how to slow down and make better choices. So choices that are good for you and good for others. You know, that whole thing of, the emotional catharsis thing. You know, it's funny because in psychiatry, you know, Freud threw out the cathartic theory of mental health before 1900. So it's an antique concept. But so many people think, okay, I've got this poison in my body. I'm going to get it out of my system so I don't have to have it cause cancer or something inside. So I'm just going to dump this 
wherever I can find it. And somehow this cathartic experience is getting out of my system is going to be helpful. And I think we're in a really important transitional time in our all of our lives where we're looking much more carefully at catharsis and emotional dysregulation. I agree. I agree. You want a constructive outlet for your feelings, any of them, whether they feel helpful or challenging. Let's talk a little bit about your book. Let's talk about some of the things that you've realized that you could actually do that perhaps you didn't know walking into it, but then you thought more carefully about it and you put your, in a way, corporate mind into child development and put those two experiences together. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk a little bit about maybe some tools that might be useful based on what you've learned to develop the skill set. Sure. So emotional health is a skill of balance. So life naturally takes us off balance. That's just the nature of life. You know, there's a natural disaster or we lose a pet or whatever. We go off balance. So the whole process of emotional health is learning how to bring ourselves back to balance, back to center. And in the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, I write some ideas that are helpful for children to know how emotions work. And then, like you just said, the tools to help release them constructively. For example, There's one tool, the Smart Choices Checklist, which I think is always helpful when I work with a child. So there was a child I work with that threw a chair across her classroom. Obviously not a good choice, could hurt someone. (laughs) But, you know, when I began working with her, I said, you know, we identified a smart choice is good for you and good for others. That might have been good for you with your anger relief right away but it could have hurt someone. It's not good to the class. So what are the other things we could have done in that moment? So when we identify sort of what are the smart choices in a classroom when you're not feeling so great, you're frustrated, annoyed, or even overexcited, what are the Mm. things that can bring you back to center? Then children have better options. They realize they can make different choices. And the same thing can be done at home. If a child has a tendency to slam doors or sass you back, you know, like, let's look at what other options are there. Can you go outside and jump on the trampoline? Can you walk the dog? Like, what can help you calm and come back to center? So the whole idea is not only to get new ideas, but like you said, put them into practice. That would be a big challenge, I would think. I mean, you actually, uh, I'm, I'm getting with you, I'm thinking about that experience with the numerous people that I've seen in my own career, never have had that particular thought, which I think is an absolutely essential and great thought, just as you're telling me about it. But I'm also thinking about the next thing is I'm thinking about the challenge of uh, having a person actually practice and get it into their system that they do it more spontaneously and in an ongoing fashion. Do you have any thoughts about how you ingrain it. We're not suggesting that we give everybody a tattoo. <laughs> no, but you, I mean, you, that's the practice of life. Whatever we repeatedly do, we sort of become. So that's why not only being the best role model we can be for our children, which is a practice, we don't need to be perfect. Sometimes we mess up and we say, oh, I'm sorry, I let that word slip or I didn't have to yell, you know, you repair the relationship with your child, but you do, you can do something. I would say every night I would suggest mindfulness or calming exercise so that your child can learn to come. For example, I have a tool in the book about, you know, when you're in a relaxed mode, putting your hand on your heart. So you do that every night as you're relaxed, you're laying in bed, you're about to drift to sleep so that when that child was in classroom and was about to take a test and they're really nervous, they could put their hand on their heart and begin to calm. They can learn how to self-soothe. So giving them the tools they need to begin 
managing their own emotions and steering their emotional boat, you know, towards positive commerces is really essential. And it is a practice. It is a regular practice. So, I mean, it'd be nice if we just did it once in a while and it worked, but that's just not how life works. I like that idea. That's a very simple, practical, and uh, just take it a little step further because I know some people are listening and saying, hey, that's a great idea. Let me just ask you one more question about it. How do you actually do that with a child? Do you have them, and forgive me for sounding like a total psychiatric person here, but I'm, I'm so interested in being careful about this process. Mm-hmm. Do you do it for a, a specific period of time? Do you have a certain objective that you want them to achieve of awareness of their relaxation? How does, how does all that take place to tighten that up and close on it? Well, you, what you're doing is you're conditioning their body. So children have to, if you do something, for example, you every night before sleep, the child is putting her hand on her heart and mm-hmm. she's physically feeling calmer. So you're conditioning the body and the brain to know when she does that again, that brings to calmness. But you're going to want to do it for at least three months for it to become really a, a strong pattern in the brain. And what works in second grade may not work in third grade. So that's why I created you know, two chapters, one of mindfulness and one of tools of emotional health in the book, because you always need fresh ideas and strategies to help engage your child, to help empower them, to help them keep making these better choices. Fantastic. That sounds great. So then when you hit that roadblock, right. what you're saying is we, we, we got some other options. Let's get on these other options and get it done. Right. Yeah. And every child is different and kids change. Right. So that's just the nature of life. But, you know, when you do give them a tool that works for them, even though we're teaching them for today, we're just helping them form healthy habits for the long term. That's the goal that, you know, when they get on the playground and they get mad, their first instinct isn't a knee jerk reaction to hit someone. Maybe they walk away. You know, they learn how to see life differently and that they have the ability to slow down and make these better choices. Well, now I'm putting myself in your shoes, speaking to teachers, school superintendents, and principals. And I'm wondering what you tell them to do. So we were just talking about an interesting individual experience with a parent and a child. Mm -hmm. But now we all know that groups are far different than individual experiences, but they may be similar in some respects. So I wanted to get your take on Mm -hmm. how you actually instruct individuals with groups or with individuals? How do you actually work with the the school professionals? That's a great question as well. Well, my book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, is based on not only the tools I've used, but I, I wrote a curriculum. So a lot of these tools were originally designed for a classroom setting. So depending upon the situation, I often go into classrooms and teach the teachers and teach the classroom, how do we calm? What are the tools that we can use as a classroom? And then in larger contexts as a school, you know, what can we formulate in the school that's not simply punishment or shame or blame? Because, you know, a, a child who's been bullied was likely bullied him or herself. So we don't want to add to that pain. We want to help them course correct their behavior and help them move in a better direction. So we need to be as constructive and positive even when we're dealing with challenging situations. So then do you identify with them when you're talking about skill set, you identify objectives. And this is the objective that we're trying to reach with this particular um, activity. Yeah, absolutely. See, that's, that's, I think, absolutely essential because if you don't have a target, you don't know what you're shooting at. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going on in psychiatry today. I mean, the targets are all appearances. 
you know, it's a fashion show out there. Mm -hmm. So if it's a fashion show and you're throwing meds at a fashion show, then what's the objective? What's the actual target? And target recognition in with neuroscience principles is has gone deeper than a fashion show. And mm -hmm. that's, that's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Saying, look, we're going to go deeper, please. And I was just going to say that, you know, we all know practically when we're in schools that if we don't handle the emotions, we never get to the academics. So even though they need to see principals and teachers and administrators need to see the science and there is research and science on that, it does make good intuitive sense that when we handle the emotions, that children can learn better. Okay. Now you got me in another question. And that is, I'm totally with you on that thought. So do you have specific techniques? for emotional regulation that people could then have as kind of a construct for managing the classroom? Yeah, I have a program teaching kids about how, you know, and that's what I've put a lot of that into the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, but how emotions actually work. And there's a lot of misperceptions, especially in a child's mind and often in adults. So you, you first need to know how they work and then you can decide what to do with them. So it's, it is really not only from a science perspective, how does the brain work, but really how do you identify them in your body? How I feel anger and what my triggers are are different than what you feel when you feel anger. So it's, it's learning it from a very visceral, direct experience. Each child gets to go through exercises to say, oh, this, when I'm angry, I make my, a fist and I feel my heartbeat. You know, you begin to identify what's happening for each child, and then they can have their own emotional ahas. So really, a lot of what we're talking about, and I'm not going to be reductionistic about this because there's a complexity involved here, no question about it, but it sounds like one of the key issues is emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. and emotional regulation with alternatives so the person yeah. can then actually see how they could manage it in different ways. Totally. I mean, we're all at choice on what we do with our emotions. And the whole point, as we know, is no emotions are bad. It's really what we do with them that matters. You know, that's mm -hmm. so it's helping children see more choices and to lead them toward better choices. So interesting. So now I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here. I'm thinking about a teacher who's got a pretty rowdy, a new teacher comes in. She's relatively fresh out of the box because we've seen this happen. They've done their teacher's training and so on, but now they're in charge of a classroom. It's their first class, and everybody is going to see what the teacher is going to permit and not permit. Now, do you have any specific ideas? I don't mean to put you on the spot. You know, if you say, hey, this is, but I would be interested to see what a, a professional such as yourself would say, wow, this is going to be a difficult situation. What kind of things would you say that might help a teacher? I mean, certainly she needs to read the book. I'm totally with you on that point. Right. What would be some of the quick things to say, okay, here's how we're going to reconfigure this situation. Do you have any ideas about that off, on, on the top of your head? Well, it depends on what grade, obviously. If it's first grade or seventh grade, it's very different. But mm -hmm. I would I would say that, you know, the connection a teacher has with a child and not only the whole classroom, but with each child makes a tremendous difference. So if she saying it's a she, but she genuinely connect and see the good in each child, even if there are sometimes some behavioral difficulties, you know, she can see the good. And then, of course, engage the child. And of course, you want to focus on problem solving and not punishment. You know, just because we're adults and we're busy and we have so many things to think about, especially a teacher full of 30 or plus people in the class, you start labeling in your mind, oh, that's the bad student. That's a good, you start labeling things. So you want to prevent a new teacher from really just pigeonholing kids. You want to be able to problem solve things, focus yeah. on like, okay, that's not working out. Asking the child, how could we do this better? And then I would also really 
add one thing into my classroom, whether it was a mindfulness technique, a calming technique, a breathing technique, something that would get the class on the same page in the beginning and maybe after recess if it's younger kids. You know, I would add some low-hanging fruit that doesn't cost a lot, just a little training, but would really make a coherent classroom and make some more engaged listening happening. So when you say that, could you give us a quick example of exactly what you were saying right there so we just get a, a better picture of what you just said? Right. So for example, there's a story where, and I have it in my book, but where, you know, after recess, kids tend to come back and they're all rowdy. They're all at different levels of activity levels. But, you know, this one classroom had everyone come back into the class. They're about in about first grade. And then every day after recess, there was a different student from the class that got in front of the classroom and they were the mindful leader and they went around the room. Everyone put their hand up and they went to each finger, breathe in, calm and breathe out. They did some activity where they were breathing in calmness and out everything that's not calm. They breathe in calmness so that everyone was doing this together so they could all as a classroom calm. It's not religious. It's not spiritual. It's just helping their minds and bodies calm and get back to the present moment so that they can do the academics, they can learn, they can settle down again. You know, it's really funny on, on your qualification as you were saying that, because I always think, you know, we talk to a, a lot of people here, and it's funny, different people have different uh, concepts of the word spiritual, because then, and it so quickly goes in people's mind that it's a religious experience of some kind, you know? And of course, then that becomes politically, so the quick question then begins to be, transcended is too deep. The word transcended is too deep. But what you're really talking about on a very practical level, that little example is so helpful and so useful, is self-management. Totally. And giving kids the ideas that they actually can do it from an early age. This is how you can do it. That, right. Love that concept. Love that mm -hmm. concept. That's fantastic. Now, we're going to take a little break here. And then when we come back, I'm going to ask you a hard question, Maureen. It's going to be see where it goes with this thing. It just occurred to me because I think all of us are identifying with the absolutely positive, constructive concept that you have here and absolute value of a book like this that we could all use it immediately. I mean, it's sort of like my thought quickly is we just need to do this in our practice. We need to have a whole separate group where we're doing this and practicing these. And I consult with some other uh, residential care centers where they could just go and in the residential care center, have some training to do this in the center and have that whole thing take place. But anyway, back to it. The question I'm going to ask, which is a little bit transformational in itself, is when we get back in just a minute, what, what have you experienced with the difficulties of this situation? Where have you kind of come up against a wall and had a learning experience where you took it down to the next level after you hit that wall? Because I think people are really interested in identifying with you and your own course of life where you have said, hey, here's an additional thought that came to me based on this experience. So it sounds kind of a little bit naughty question, but what we'll do is take a break and see where you take it. We'll be back in just a moment, folks. Today, the world of mind science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word, predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, 
arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain, body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally both by the FDA and CLIA laboratory certifications and is available internationally for both public and medical professions. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSite for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot, they get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences, in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal CBJ. Well, thanks again, Maureen Healy, for joining us. Maureen, as you know, is a child development expert. She was trained up in beautiful Worcester, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. My wife is from Massachusetts, and we've been through Worcester many times. My brother-in-law rode crew there, and uh, not a Worcester, but at the college there. And and then you're in Santa Barbara. She finished a training in the Fielding Graduate University in Santa Barbara, and she's been really very involved, even including Martha Stewart's Living Radio Network, the Huffington Post, Forbes, CW's San Diego Living, ABC's View from the Bay, Chicago Tribune. She's been around, folks, and she's got a lot of experience to bring to the table. And this is kind of a hard question, but I think we're always looking at answers for problems that we would identify that we might have. And the problem I was really thinking about, what do you see would be like one of the biggest problems that you had and would be the learning experience that you had from that problem in terms of putting forward these ideas on either a personal level with one-to-one or with a larger group in a school? What would be something that comes to your mind in that regard? Well, you know, the reason I'm right about the emotionally healthy child and a lot of the reasons why parents and teachers come to me with these very emotional, reactive, fast-moving, strong-willed children is because I was one of those kids. So I moved very quickly when I was a child. I always wanted to get things done as fast as I could. I wanted to, you know, I had tons and tons of energy, oodles of energy. Not that I don't have a lot of energy now, I still do, but (laughs) I learned through the process of living and having great teachers that oftentimes you have to slow down to get where you want to go faster. You have to really be more careful and more mindful. And that doesn't come easily to most children. That's something they need to learn how to slow down and how to make better choices. So that's that's a real personal connection I have to the material. And that's why I get a lot of children when I work with them. I speak kid very well. I understand what they're doing. I get it. I get it from the inside out. And then when I work with parents, oftentimes there's this sort of disconnect. They speak adult. They don't speak kid all the time. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm translating languages back and forth. Yeah. And that would be a problem. That would be an issue for you because then it's really a communication skill. It's like a different language. And so that, that would be an impediment. So then what you're doing, you didn't quite say this, but it's kind of what you were saying is that you're modeling that communication skill. So part of it is the process of how you actually explain these things Mm -hmm. when you're doing it, you know, how you actually 
get the message across. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I would imagine that some people are resistant to, quote unquote, regressing in their relationship. I, I see this happen all the time with professionals. They're all, they want to not appear regressed in any way. They don't want to make a mistake or struggle with it. They want to say it so doggone precisely and dispassionately that they wind up coming at it from Mars or something like that. It doesn't really sound like it's real. And also, I think, you know, it's when you're dealing with adults, so parents, teachers, you know, experts in the childcare field, we don't want to see that we're part of the problem sometimes. So, so it's sort of a tricky thing. You want, sometimes we, we want to say, oh, my child's misbehaving. So there is that sort of mirror going back and forth between the child and the adult. So taking sort of ownership, the child takes it, but also us as adults realize that we don't have to be perfect, but we, we do have to continue to keep being our best and to always improve and learn, I think is a wonderful skill and uh, mindset. Well, you know, Maureen, things you're talking about, it sounds like so much of it is emotional regulation and as opposed to dysregulation. Mm-hmm. And the idea there, it sounds like so much of what you're talking about would be so helpful for parents, for them to practice exactly what they're talking with the kids about so that they could then have that peace within them before right. they actually come out and dump the affect, the emotion on whoever's in the vicinity. Right. And that's one of the pieces of the book. I always talk about how we're really learning together. There are things that I'm learning from you and the child is learning from me, but we're learning together. And I have something in the book. It's a three-step process. It's called Three Steps to Success, but it's stop, calm, and make a smarter choice. And as we know, they sound simple, but it's, you know, there's a real practice there and there's self-awareness there and there's lots of things going on. But that's sort of one of the themes throughout the book is that we all need to learn how to catch ourselves and learn how to calm and then make a smart choice. You know, I think it's great that you're thinking this way because any kind of constructive elements like this, we, we see an evolution taking place just as an aside comment because we have uh, worked in a lot of uh, psychiatric facilities, to tell you the truth. And over the years, you know, I was executive medical director of one locally for, for many years and have worked in other facilities and, and in residential facilities as well. And I think what's going on in the larger community is people are recognizing the absolute relevance of more effective management techniques with the staff. So I know when I first started my psych residency, I was on an acute ward in a state hospital. And the big deal there was locking people up and putting them in a a room. And just that would be the way you would manage things instead of there was no real technique other than locking them up. And I think that even when I was an older person from that first, there was a whole period of time in psychiatric hospitalization, residential care, where people just got put on time out. That was what you do. You just take them out Mm -hmm. instead of actually looking at alternatives talking the way you're talking. And I think that there's a major evolution going on. I appreciate your point of this because I would see you're right in the catbird seat because people are coming to you saying, we need to evolve our organization. That's right. They're actually asking you to take the whole organization on. That's interesting. So then now let me ask you this. If you're going to take the whole organization on, that seems to me a whole situation of a kind of a group standard needs to change. And that would be a really interesting thing. What do, how, I mean, 
you have any thoughts about that right off the bat? Well, yeah, social and emotional learning is happening in individual schools, but it will be something that will sweep across our country because it's no longer a nice to have, it's a must have with the level of school shootings and stress and anxiety and depression and things happening in, in elementary and middle and high school. So it's just a matter of time where things will become more standardized. And of mm -hmm. course, we want to be ahead of the curve and put our best foot forward and create things that are not just things that people are going to start teaching to a test, but really add value and really help children become emotionally healthier and ultimately happier. So, you know, and the whole idea is to be a whole person. It's not just to become happy. You want to feel all your feelings and learn how to express them constructively. So we don't want kids to, you know, not every day is sunshine and unicorns. You want to be able to get up and begin again when there's challenges. So it's teaching kids how to handle any emotions and be able to begin again and move towards their healthiest self, which is, I think, essential. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you actually train the kids at all to manage each other more effectively? In other words, something that's always been a thought that I've had, not always, but I mean, I was uh, certified in mediation uh, years mm -hmm. ago. I took additional mediation training because I, I realized I didn't know a darn thing about it. And I, so it was a local university and I took the mediation training. It was quite interesting. And as I got further and further into it, I thought, why, why don't we really start teaching this in the schools earlier so that kids become their own mediators as opposed to having to rely on adults to do it? So they would then develop the skill set of understanding how to negotiate that middle ground through affect, emotion management, and that sort of thing. So I'm just talking about an example that I had, but do you see any possibilities occurring with that idea in terms of training the kids to manage themselves. Absolutely. And there's a bunch of different schools that do something called restorative justice, which is like a conflict resolution. And that's mm -hmm. the whole point is that if we can amicably resolve conflicts early on, our life can be better because we're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to agree with everyone on something. We're supposed to have all different experiences, but you know, you want that skill of resolving conflicts amicably and respectfully and doing it early on. So yes, there are some really good programs doing that. And that's a piece of that social and emotional skills. So from my standpoint, even though we call it social and emotional learning, it's really emotional comes first and then social comes second. Mm -hmm. So I think we didn't call it ESL because that's English as a second language, but the social emotional learning, we really have to learn how to keep our own emotions in check. And then we can connect with others and, and learn how do we resolve conflicts? How do we create friendships that are real friendships versus just hanging out with the cool kids? You know, what are healthy ways to connect with others? I mean, these are all parts of the goodness of life that kids don't necessarily, you don't know, you have to learn the skill of how do you make friends? How do you resolve conflicts? Why is honesty important? What does a character, developing character mean? And um, that's part of creating an emotionally healthy mindset, which I talk about in the book, which is, you know, more than just learning about emotions and releasing them constructively. It's how do you develop character? How do you become mindful? How do you really become the best person that you can be so that even though if it's a bad day, you don't take it out on the dog, you know, you make better choices. You know, that is such a meaningful, I mean, you say it kind of, because I'm sure you speak about these things all the time, but that is such a meaningful statement that you just said, because we're not just doing tools here. We're not right. just running out doing grids and games. What we're doing is we're talking about the evolution of each human being. 
that's mm-hmm. in the classroom and having them construct. I like the word character. I think the word character is absolutely and a miss and underused concept. Because really what happens is, and it's one of, I didn't really think about this before, but a whole concept of training individuals to be mediators is developing a certain character strength mm-hmm. in terms of conflict resolution, which you were, you were talking about with the, those particular groups. I mean, you're really talking about a number of different things all at one time. I'm sorry we don't have more time to talk about this, but if you think about it, we started with the concept that there's a big problem. Then mm-hmm. we talked about you talking about individuals. We talked about specific people and skills. Then we talked about classes. And now we're going to yet a deeper level. And that is the evolution of the kids themselves in terms of their own self-management and their own character mm-hmm. development. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think that's a very, very key point and a very useful point that you're bringing because that's the end point that we all want for all of us, and whether we're adults, children, right. people that we work with, people we mm-hmm. love. We just hope that they have an internal set of character um, mm-hmm. that's not dualistic. It's mm-hmm. not just black and white. It's like, let's really look at the complexity of the situation and get together and resolve it. And you want kids to learn to take responsibility for their choices. So that's part of that character, right? And eventually become self-reliant beings on the planet where they're contributing their unique gifts. So I think it's all weaves in their different aspects. So very true. Well, listen, Maureen, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. And just one more time, folks, what we want to do is make sure you get a chance to hook up with Maureen Healy. She's out in Santa Barbara, California, but she is really, as I said before, she's really, really a global person at this point. So Maureen, how can people, first of all, I want to tell you this, Maureen, just as an aside before we finish, I got your YouTube, I'm going to put that YouTube on the show notes, the talking about your book because I can load that video on the show notes so people will have you and get to know you personally and see who you are as a person there on the show notes. But how would you have people, what would be the best way for people to get in contact with you? Sure. You can go to my website, growinghappykids.com, and you can learn more. You can get an excerpt from The Emotionally Healthy Child, which is the book we've been talking about. And my first book was Growing Happy Kids About Confidence. So it's an easy website to remember, growinghappykids.com, and there's all sorts of videos and information there. Well, that's great. We really definitely appreciate you coming on board. If you have another wrinkle somewhere along the line, Maureen, that you say, hey, Parker, you know, this is something else we could talk about. We'd be more than happy to have you come back on because this is such a meaningful and useful conversation that we're having here. And, and it's really so applicable in so many places. We just really appreciate you coming on board. Thank you for having me. So you have a great day, girl. We'll talk to you. Yes, bye. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.